0: I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, from verse 1, all right into the church in Corinth. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints, And they did not do this as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness for others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes, for your sakes, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there... The gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. And we pray that you would speak into each of our hearts uh, and bring it, bring it alive for us. Um, and transform uh, our hearts and minds as a result of it. Amen. So, good morning. And uh, there, was a, there was a city guy who went uh, camping. Um, and he was in a pretty muddy part of the world, probably West Wales somewhere. And uh, his car gets stuck in the mud, completely grounded, can't get out of the campsite. And fortunately for him, there's a farmer coming past who offers to help. And he says, I've got an incredibly strong mule. Okay, and this mule, no problem, but I'll pull your car out of the field. A um, hundred pounds, you can have the mule. That's it, deal or no deal. So the guy says, okay, yeah, there's a hundred pounds, I'm pretty desperate. Um, when can you get the mule round to me? And he says, well, unfortunately, it's not going to be tomorrow till tomorrow, but it'll be first thing. I'll get the, I'll get the mule to you, get your car out of, the, out of the, 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 the field. Anyway, he comes around the following day, and uh, the mule's dead. And he says, well, this is, this is no use. He said, what happened? He said, we just died overnight. He said, well, can I have my £100 back? He said, well, I've not spent it. You can't have the money back. And he says, well, this is, I've been conned badly here. He says, I'll tell you what then, I'll take the dead mule. I've paid for the mule. I'm having the mule. I'll make my money back on it. I said, I can't see how you'll ever manage that. He said, well, you know, us city guys, we've got a trick or two up our sleeves. I will raffle the mule. So off he goes. And anyway, sometime later, they meet up and find out what happened. And it turns out that the guys made money on this. And the farmer is intrigued. How can you possibly make money on a dead mule? And he said, well, sold 100 raffle tickets, two pound a pop. That's, uh, you know, and, um, And the guy says, but nobody complained? He said, yeah, one guy did. He says, but I gave him his money back. And uh, I just wanted to warn you about the dead mule scam. It is out there. There'll be an email. There'll be a phone call. Um, Who knows? But do not fall for the dead mule scam. You've been warned. Okay, forewarned is forearmed. So no sob stories next week if there's a dead mule story uh, with um, the congregation. But there are so many money scams out there today that we've become overly protective about our money, that uh, we kind of, kind of every security system possible, um, that we want to protect it. And we're going to look today at uh, another passage, another couple of passages that, that just speak to us about the heart of God um, in all of this. And as has been said before, Jesus spoke and taught so much about money, you know, five times more in the New Testament on money than there was about prayer, 16 parables Jesus speaks some aspect uh, of money uh, in them. So, we want to this morning just look at what gives us something that will give us a new perspective that hopefully leads to a new generosity or is modeled uh, in this passage because of a new currency that we now deal in. So, firstly, a new perspective. In Luke chapter 16, this is the the parable of the shrewd manager, which some of you will be familiar with. And Jesus says these incredible words that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest, With very little. Will also be dishonest with much. There's a lot in there for us. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And we don't easily notice the pattern here, uh, but Jesus is using a literary device called parallelism here. There's three parallel verses, verses 10, 11, and 12. Parallel lines. And if you unpack them, then you begin to see that the first thing he's talking about is worldly wealth. Okay, the worldly wealth of this age. The money that you and I uh, get uh, through our worlds. And he says two things about it. Firstly, he says it is very little. And secondly, he says it's someone else's property. And then he compares it with true riches in the age to come. And he says of these, that these are much. And also that this is property of your own. And so as you start to group these, these lines, you begin to see Jesus is teaching that the, the black areas, the black words there, are, are all relate together. And the white areas, the white words, all relate together. And this is a staggering perspective on money. Because on the left side, worldly wealth, the money that we get, our income, whatever. He says, compared to true riches in heaven, is very little. Very little. And the illustration that I've used before is, is to compare it to your Sunday dinner. Okay, and for Sunday dinner, you get one bean. Okay, one bean for Sunday dinner. Okay, no Sunday roast for you, Sunday bean. Okay? And if you got that one bean served up for Sunday lunch, you would consider that very little. You would probably be disappointed. Okay, one big plate, one little bean, and nothing else. And Jesus implies that worldly wealth compared to true riches is equal to one bean. That is God's perspective. Now, some of you, okay, I've had a hard life, you've got half a bean. right? Some of you have done incredibly well in life, you've got two beans. okay? But either way, it is very little. Perhaps more stunningly, not only is it very little, it's someone else's property. So the bean that you've got, and the bean that I've got, isn't even mine. According to this, it's someone else's. It's outrageous. And guess whose it is? It's God's. Okay? We're, we're just, we've just been given the bean to look after. We're to, to do something useful with this bean for someone else. We're to be trustees of it. So you find out what does, he, what does he want us to do with it? How does he want to best use that? What are his goals? What are his purposes in this world? So these verses give us a whole new perspective... On money, on worldly wealth, and there are two completely opposite mentalities that, that we, we can have. One is a scarcity mentality, and the other is a, a sufficiency mentality. Now, the scarcity mentality looks like this: I only have one bean. I've got to guard the bean. Okay, I'm going to keep the bean. Do not lose the bean. It's the only bean that I've got. I'm going to protect it at all costs. Do not damage the bean. Do not drop the bean. Don't hide. I'm going to hide the bean. This is my bean, and it's the only one I've got. So you're not getting anywhere near it. Scarcity mentality. Or the sufficiency mentality. <laughs> hey, guys, it's only a bean. <laughs> Have it. You might as well, but it's not doing me a lot of good. Okay? Take a risk. Plant the bean. Create new opportunities. Multiply the bean. How can I turn this bean into a blessing? I'm sure there's a Jack and the Beanstalk story somewhere. Okay. Have the bean. I've got a whole Sunday roast coming up ahead, so you, you can have that for now. Okay. The Sunday roast is the true riches. There's much of it, and it is my own property, according to this. So the scarcity mentality paralyzes us because we hold on to it. If I give this away, they win, but I lose. I've lost the bean. Whereas the sufficiency mentality says, dynamic. I freely give it. Freely give it away. Because I give it away, they win, and I win. Sunday roast is coming. And so into that, we get this verse in 2 Corinthians 8 in verse 1 that says this is the grace that God had given the Macedonian churches. Okay, this is the perspective that they've understood. This is the generosity of God. The God who gave his only son to die for us, they've got it, the generosity, the grace that they have received. And so out of this new perspective comes an overflow of a whole new generosity. And so Paul starts writing to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth have eagerly said that they will, will, they will take an offering to support this poor, struggling church back in uh, Judea, okay a kind of Jewish background church, and they promised this a year ago, as you read the passage and as you read around the passages, but the offering hasn't materialized. It hasn't arrived yet. And so Paul challenges them by highlighting the financial generosity of the churches up in the north, the Macedonian churches. And they are real grace givers. It just flows naturally from them. Out of their most severe trial, verse 2, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich. Generosity. Their generosity has nothing to do with life going well for them. Okay, despite a most severe trial, they are not having an easy time of it. Life is difficult for them. Their generosity has nothing to do with having plenty. They gave out of their extreme poverty. This grace giving that they have has nothing to do with what they think they can afford. Verse 3, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Because they it's only a bean, so have it. That's their their thinking. And their grace giving had nothing to do with being coerced. Verse 4, it says that they urgently pleaded with us. Please let us give, please let us contribute. We want the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. What a joy it would be for us to contribute to that. Freely God has given to us. We want to freely give to others and bless them. They have absolutely grasped the grace of God. Their most severe trial, their extreme poverty, their overflowing joy has welled up into rich generosity. So this is a kingdom mindset. This has got nothing to do with their circumstances. This has nothing to do with, oh, we've got a lot spare It's just their mentality and their thinking that they have. And so Paul encourages the Corinthian church to bring their promise of an offering to completion. You promised it last year, guys. Let's bring it to completion so that we can bless these guys who are struggling uh, over there. Look at what these guys were like. So verse seven, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving and it is based on Jesus who gave verse 9 who gave up all the riches and comfort of heaven and all of heaven's glory to be born with nothing in this world he gave up everything so that we could gain everything and the gospel is right at the heart of it and so we embarked on our vision as a church and I you was know, standing here today is, uh, is testimony to, to all of that, multiplying the sites and the services as a means of reaching out to more people more effectively across the city, and um, to up the ante on our youth and children's and schools work um, that has been going on and our outreach. And uh, Ruth and I, my wife, um, we willingly committed as we looked at this five-year plan, this five-year vision. So we're, you know, we're gonna up our giving for the next five years You know, we're going to find something else on top of our regular proportional giving. And this passage reminds me of that commitment. It's so easy to forget. But verse 11, he says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means, as you're able to do so. And we want to do that. And the reason is because there's a whole new currency. A new perspective leads to a new generosity because we understand there's a new currency. And we can exchange worldly wealth for true riches. Okay, we can take our, our finances that we have and we can go to the Bureau de as whatever it's called in French. Not very good at French. And you can change it into another currency. And the currency is true riches in the age to come. And I started this currency exchange a number of years ago, a long time back in my Christian life. I began to give. I began to to give away a a proportion of what I had on a regular basis. And uh, I started with 10%. 10% of anything that came in, I would just regularly give to God through the church as a starting point. And here's the thing. About the same sort of time that I started to, to give away, I also began to see people come to faith. Um, I saw a girl from Scotland come to faith. I saw a guy from Kenya, um, a guy from Brazil, a guy from Ecuador, a guy from uh, uh, Pakistan. I was living with internationals, people from all around the world beginning to come to faith. Now, I know it's not directly linked to that, and there was other things happening as well. But I began to understand that as we give into God's kingdom, what we're doing, we're investing in people coming to faith. We're investing in the gospel going out. We're investing in people being blessed and pointing people to God. And so in Luke 16, in that parable again on money, Jesus said, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And those who welcome us will be those who are there because of our time and because of our money. We use our money to spread the gospel, to spread this great news about God, to meet the needs of others and to bless them. Because ultimately we're not defined by what we have here on earth. We're defined by what we have in the kingdom of heaven. We're not defined by what we have here on earth. We're defined by what we have in the kingdom of heaven. And so referring back to our bean, okay. If the bean is going to grow and multiply. Then my experience is you have to activate it. So I did a bit of biology back in the day. And you take a bean and you stick it in the ground and you water it, and then it germinates. It doesn't germinate in your pocket in the dark. Okay? And the key, so here's, here's the life cycle of the bean, okay? it grows when it's activated, and it produces more beans, and it grows much, much bigger than it ever was itself. And the key to activating it is to give it, is to give it away. To willingly and generously, out of God's grace to us, be generous to God and to others with our money. And that begins to activate what is happening. And so we have a whole new perspective on worldly wealth that leads to a new generosity with someone else's property that's invested in a whole new currency, true riches. Back in 2006... um, In Atlanta, while waiting at traffic lights, there was a family in a car. And the 14-year-old daughter, Hannah, saw on one side a homeless guy begging for food and a black Mercedes coupe on this side of traffic light. And she turned to her dad and she said, Dad, if that man there had a less nice car, that man there could have a meal. And she was very insistent about it, as 14-year-olds are. And she wanted to do something about that inequality. And her dad said, well, actually, Hannah, if, if we had a less nice car, that would be true also. And so over the months, they began to discuss this around the table. Uh, what could they do to make a difference about the inequality that they saw around them? And over time, they began to realise they had this huge house. They had a two million pound house, a two million dollar house. Uh, in Atlanta. And so they decided as a family that they would sell the house, they would give half of it away to charity, and they would downsize and get something a little bit more modest. Probably by our standards, that's still quite, quite a nice house. But hey. But they discovered a whole lot of knock-on effects from that, a whole lot of benefits. Her dad says this. She said, he said a smaller house meant a more family-friendly house. We essentially traded stuff for togetherness and connectedness because they had such a massive place. They went on as a family to write a book called The Power of Half. And they would say this, the aim is not to get people to sell the houses, you may be relieved, but simply to encourage people to step off the treadmill of accumulation, to define themselves by what they give and not by what they possess. For us, says Hannah, the house was just something we could live without. It was too big for us. And everyone has too much of something, whether it is time, whether it is talent, or whether it is treasure, in this case. Everyone does have their own half, they say. You just have to find it. Now that is one motivational story of generosity out of materialism gone mad. God's story isn't just a half. God's story is everything. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich. Yet for your sakes he became poor. Why? So that you through his poverty might become rich. That we might be forgiven. That we might be accepted. That we might be loved. That we might be blessed. That we might know life in all its fullness. For the whole of eternity. Let's pray as we uh, draw to a close. And it may be that you're here this morning and maybe you just want to thank God quietly this morning that he has given everything for you. And perhaps you've never asked him for that forgiveness. Perhaps you've just thought, I can just live life myself. I don't really need God's. Maybe my family are Christians, but I don't need to respond to this. But here's an opportunity to say to God, Thank you that you gave your life for me. I ask you to forgive me this day. Thank you that you've paid for my forgiveness. And I ask you that you would start to lead my life to live with a whole new perspective. Lead me forwards. In Jesus' name, amen. And just to pray for for others in the room this morning. And maybe you are someone, actually God has has blessed you with a a very generous heart. Or you've been blessed with a whole uh, heap of opportunity to give. And I just want to pray for you that just this morning that you would know afresh that God uses everything that you give for his purposes, that there are things it has accomplished, there are places that it's changed that you will never see in this lifetime. But as you've given, large or small, that God has taken that and God has used that, and He has transformed somebody somewhere as a result of that. And there are true riches ahead. There are there is people's lives saved and changed because of that. And I pray too for each one of us that that you would, Lord, just freshly reactivate the bean. You would reactivate our generosity. That you would give us a fresh perspective on worldly wealth. That we recognize that it's actually yours. And give us great wisdom on how best to use that. Break that scarcity mentality that is in each of our hearts and give us a, a faith that says that you are sufficient. In Jesus' name, amen.